Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is wonderful to be back with you another Sunday morning to not only fellowship and worship, but to spend some time in the Word together with you. If you've got your Bibles, please turn to Colossians chapter 4. And while you're doing that, I was just thinking yesterday, the gyms opened up, and if I'm honest, I've really missed the time of lifting weights and pushing myself physically and, believe it or not, mentally as well. A lot of my strength has diminished and I've become a little slack in my exercise regime during the quarantine and the lockdown. And so I not only have to get back to the regularity of my exercise program, I also have to go back to the basics in order to have the correct weight so I might maintain the correct form to get the most out of my 45 minutes in the gym. Now, the reason why I start with that is because today, as we look at Colossians chapter 4, it's somewhat of getting back to basics as well. So we're coming to the close of the book of Colossians over the next couple of weeks. And thus far, we have had a refreshing regarding Jesus Christ, his greatness, his beauty, his sovereignty, and his preeminence, his transcendence. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 to 23. We've had a reorienting of our hearts, that we are setting our affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for we are dead and our lives are hidden with Christ. Colossians 3, verses 2 and 3. And last week we had a refocusing of our vision, that whatever we do, we do it with all our heart as we are working for the Lord and not for human masters. Colossians 3, verse 23. And with this refreshing, reorienting and refocusing, Paul brings us back to this key or to this vital basic truth, which these are, uh, are unlocked in our lives, a revival that enables us to experience this refreshing and this reorienting and this refocusing. That we can experience through these three R's revival within each of our hearts individually and corporately. So that reading of Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6, we're going to look at three things. Three things that I refer to as our, meaning corporately as well as individually, our practice in Christ. Our practice in Christ. I know we hear it say practice makes perfect. What I mean by practice is the act in which we do, sometimes repetitively, whatever it might be, in order for us to fall or feel comfortable in the routine that enables us to move slow, uh, smoothly, to move smoothly through the life or through the activity or through whatever it is we may be doing. So our practice in Christ. And we're going to open a word of prayer and we'll see what the Lord has to reveal to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the refreshing within our hearts because of Jesus Christ, the reorienting of our desires as we set our hearts on things above and the refocusing of our vision, looking unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray this morning that you might speak to us through the scriptures today, 
that whatever situation, whatever distractions that are going on around us, we might place them to the side and focus on you and you alone. Please help me, Lord, to speak clearly, to speak slowly, and to be able to communicate the truths that are found within the pages of Scripture. As I pray, Lord, please give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, and give us hearts to respond for your glory. And in your name we ask. Amen. So, I'm aiming to share these three practical lessons, these three practices for us walking in Christ. And the first practice is what I call the practice of prayer. And that's in verse 2. Verse 2 reads, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. This key raised in verse 2 points to the importance prayer is to have in our lives as a Christian. It is the charge of being devoted to prayer, and it falls in line with Paul's exhortation in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray continually. It also falls in line with the teaching of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, that they should always pray and not give up. But in these two verses, as well as this verse here in Colossians chapter 4, the emphasis is not to be on the act or the action of praying. One is not to be devoted to praying, but rather the emphasis is to be placed on the person you are praying to. That you are being devoted to the person you are praying to. Because there are many ideologies, there are many religious views that pray. And so our devotion to prayer is not so much devotion to prayer, but devotion to the one we are praying to. It's the same idea of seeking the giver as opposed to seeking the gift. It is the idea of us seeking the blesser as opposed to seeking the blessing. So here, it is the case of one who, us seeking the one who answers prayer over the act of asking. You see, prayer isn't just about asking to get your own way. Biblical prayer is about humility. Because in the bigger picture, we really have little or no control in life. Biblical prayer is about dependence because we lack resources to do much of anything. Biblical prayer is about trust because we don't have all the answers. And, and because of this, that means we have to be trusting humbly, depending upon whom we are praying to as we pray. That's who we're to be devoted to. And that fact speaks to all of the godly standards required from us in the roles that we looked at last week. That as we devote ourselves to him, that the godly standards are met as a wife and as a husband, as a child and as a parent, as an employee and as an employer, coming to him to seek those mandates and having those mandates fulfilled as we devote ourselves to the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about us trying harder to meet those standards, but rather 
as the Lord changes us from the inside out, as we commit our ways and beings and attitudes to Jesus, those mandates are then filled naturally. Beg your pardon? Naturally. There is something that my wife and I often share as we talk and interact with people, especially when it comes to counseling in some ways, is that when you have your relationship right with Jesus, when you focus on walking with him, when you are obedient to his word, honoring his ways, then you will naturally be the men and the women, the husbands and the wives, the children and the parents, the employees and the employers that God has called you to be. That's why the promise of Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all his things and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That is getting the, the horse before the cart. That's having the right priorities. Don't get the cart before the horse. This is the reason why Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, for he is encouraging us to devote ourselves, just like Peter encouraged the saints that were in the scattering and were being persecuted to devote themselves. It says, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator. 1 Peter 14, 4, verse 19. Because as we commit ourselves to him and our need, the responsibility for transformation, the responsibility for change, the responsibility for molding, the, the responsibility for belonging, that actually becomes his responsibility as we rely and depend and trust in him as we prioritize the things of Jesus. That's why when Paul wrote to Timothy, I know who I am, have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see, when we have committed our ways to the Lord, the responsibility becomes his and the onus is taken from us. Not saying, not saying that we don't give it our best as we discussed last week, but it is once again having the priority set right, that we commit our ways to the Lord and he is the one that does the changing. Follow me, he says, and I will make you fishes of men in Matthew 4, 19. As you follow, as you commit, he does the molding, he does the shaping, he takes responsibility for what has been committed to him which makes me laugh. I didn't write this down, which makes me laugh because a lot of the times I commit something to the Lord and then try to take it back from him, especially when it doesn't go my own way. But that's why he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one you are praying to. Because this charge is then accompanied with being watchful. Being watchful for a number of things. Being watchful and to be able to recognize the signs of the times. A condemnation that he brought against the Pharisees in Matthew 6, 16, verse 3. He says, you can discern the skies, but you can't discern the signs of the time. We as people of God, we as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be able to discern the times. Yes. So 
be watchful. Watchful for our enemy's moves. We are told in 1 Peter 5, 8, to be sober and to be vigilant. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walks in, it walks about seeking whom he may devour. So be aware. We can have to be watchful for the enemy that is seeking to take us away from our Lord Jesus. And lastly, we are to be watchful for our own weaknesses, how we can easily trip over and, and fall to the unsteady ground of, of our own pride and, and arrogance, our legalistic living. We can fall into those traps or we can fall into the trap of easy believism and cheap grace, what I call licentious living. And sadly, because our hearts are so deceitful and desperately wicked, that it is very easy to fall into that trap too. We're even told how the, the mind, the carnal mind, is hostile towards God in Romans 8, 7. Therefore, there is an importance for us to be watchful. Yes, watchful. But if our eyes are on Jesus, then that enables us to be watchful because he is the light of the world and he sheds light on all of those things around us that we need to be wary of. That he shines light on to my, my own ignorance as to what's going on in the world around us. He sheds light on the enemy's moves and the temptations that he lays in front of us to trip us up and to draw us away from Christ. He sheds light on our own weaknesses, on our own self-righteousness, of our own pride, of our own arrogance, of our own failures. He brings to light those things as well. But see, the only way those things are shed light on is as we look to Jesus. That as we look to him, then light is shed in connection to him. And that he reveals those things to us. So in our being watchful, we can in turn then also be thankful. Devote yourselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful. We can also be thankful. Thankful that we are not left to our own devices. Thankful that he is directly involved with every movement and with each moment that you are going through. And to be thankful that he is the one that comes alongside of us to strengthen us, to encourage us, to correct us. To be thankful that our God loves us and expresses that love not only in his word, not only in his creation, but through brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, through the church, through your family, through a smile that our God is with us. And so as we watch out means that, sorry, as we watch out, that thankfulness and that gratitude and that appreciation, because our eyes are on him, will replace the apprehension, the fear and anxiety of us either not being good enough or the hardships and the trials and the tribulations of the things that go on around us. Because I am told that in Christ, I have all that I need to live a life of godliness. I, that, that, that Jesus Christ is more than enough because the gospel, because my Christian life, because my relationship with him is all about Jesus. It's all about what he has done for me on the cross and what he does for me now after his resurrection from 
the grave. Because this practice of prayer also enables us to pray for others as well as pray for ourselves to continue in the call he has placed in our lives. For he says in verses 3 and 4, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So not only is that first practice the practice of prayer, that practice of prayer also enables us to fulfill the practice of proclamation. The practice of proclamation. And I like this. Paul, who according to many is one of the greatest figures in Christendom, shows and reinforces the importance of the body of Christ in proclaiming the gospel to the world. Because he asks them, he asks for prayer that they might pray for him to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ, of going into all the world and preaching the gospel, Mark 16, 15. The great commission of Jesus Christ, to go into all the world, baptizing people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And he asks them, his request for prayer, remember he's in prison at this time, his request for prayer is that they may proclaim the mystery of Christ and proclaim it clearly as I should. And that's what makes that statement so amazing, is the fact that he is in prison for doing this very thing. And he is asking them now, please, please pray for me that my, I might be about the very thing that put me in prison in the first place. I'm locked up for telling people about Jesus. Please pray for me that there will be an opportunity for me to tell people about Jesus. And that I might present that message about Jesus clearly. That's amazing. Because it gives me an insight to a couple of things. One, the perspective Paul had. He saw the priority of the gospel took precedence over everything else. And it didn't matter whether he was locked up or whether he was free. If he was locked up, he said, pray for me that I could be about my job of proclaiming the gospel. If he was free, pray for me that I might be about my job of proclaiming the gospel. And, and I think that's contrary to a lot of us. I know it's contrary to me as well a lot of the time because when we step out, when we take a chance, when we step out by faith to share the gospel, that God loves you, even though you don't want anything to do with him, that, that, that the Lord Jesus died for you because you couldn't pay for the price of your own sin, because the wages of sin is death, and, and you and I can't pay that debt off by being good, that, that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead and that he conquered death as evidence that he is who he claimed to be and that he rose to the to, to, to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. I mean, we go and we share this marriage. We take a chance. And there's someone that we want to share the gospel with. And so we step out. It might be a work colleague, might be a family member, might be a friend, might be a next-door neighbor, might be the guy down the road who works at the local shop, might be anyone. We step out and we share that, and we get rejected by the people that we share it with. People mock us for believing such things. People ridicule us for making such a stand. People, through belittlement, through sarcasm, through insult, then what happens with us a lot of the time is that then we choose to then remain silent. We take a step back. We shy away. 
Paul, who is in prison here, who has been locked up, who has been beaten, who has been harassed. And we read 2 Corinthians 11, 23 or 29, for the mystery of Christ, for the gospel. And he had the choice to either fall into despair and withdraw into the comfort of going with the flow, or he had the chance to stand up and carry on and be about what God had called him to do. Paul is praying that the first thing would not happen to him, that he wouldn't be silent, but rather that he would have opportunity and that he would take such opportunity to proclaim clearly the mystery of Christ. And he is asking his brothers and sisters to help him in this through prayer. That while he's in prison, they can't do much except pray. That while he's in prison, he might have the opportunity to communicate clearly this wonderful message to those who are around him. I mean, truly, Paul could ask for prayer support in order to continue God's call in his life and not fall into the entanglements of despair and withdrawal because his eyes saw the Lord. Because his eyes and his heart understood that it was for the Lord that he was working for and that the Lord who gave his best for him, he desired to give his best in return. He gave his best for the Lord Jesus. And I reckon, I reckon, did he fail? I reckon he did fail at times. Did, did he have difficulty? Yeah, I reckon he probably had difficulty in some stages too. But that did not define him or hold him for his God is greater of his de than his definition. His God is stronger than his own personal opinions of what's going on around him. And his master is higher than anything that he had ever faced. And so gracious is this God that in Paul's weakness and in Paul's failure, restoration was gained and strength is found. I mean, you read 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, and you see this. Now, this speaks to you and I even now. I'm thinking about the times in your life and in my life when there's opportunity to say something or make reference to something. There's opportunity to stand up and, and show the love of God through your speech about how you know Jesus and we don't. It is in that time, it is in that weakness that we get the joy of experiencing and seeing God work. And whether we get rejected, then we need to walk away thinking they have rejected the greatest gift of salvation. They have rejected Jesus Christ. They've rejected God, not you, not me. That when you step out by faith and they turn their back on you and don't want anything to do with you, they're turning their back on the life and on the gifts that God desires to bestow upon them. You see, the beauty of this example is that Paul knew and experienced the greatness of God's love in Jesus Christ. He lived and responded to the Holy Spirit's moving in his life and sought to live out God's word at every turn. Such was his passion, such was his zeal that the person of Christ stirred within him. He received Christ Jesus by faith and continued to live by faith, trusting in Jesus. 
because Jesus is supreme and preeminent, Colossians 1.16. He set his affections on things above, for he is dead and his life hidden in Christ, because in Christ he is made complete in him who is the head over every power and authority, Colossians 2.10. Paul could clothe himself with compassion and kindness and humility and forgiveness uh, because the word of Christ dwelled in him richly, Colossians 3.16. And that's the joy that Paul got to experience and the joy that we also have the opportunity to experience also. But the only way such things can be discovered and the realities lived out is whether in the practice of proclamation actually means going and proclaiming. Proclaiming in life as well as word. Proclaiming in deed as well as in thought. And, and while it is all about Jesus, while the gospel, our new life in Christ, revolves around him as working unto him, living in victory, there is our part to play. Not in the sense of adding to what Jesus has already done, but as shared last week, a godly mandate to adhere in order to experience the abundance that God has promised to us in Christ. Thus, the necessity of this of third preparedness, the practice of preparedness. Um, whenever you make something, it's if you're going to pl plant, sorry, pot a plant, you stir up the soil, you take it out, you get it all set up, you, you put it in there. Uh, you're going to do some work within your home. You usually get things prepared, you tear it down, get things ready, and you get things set up. I've been cooking recently. And I'll be doing okay too. I'm very thankful for that. So I've been cooking recently. And I, as I read through the recipes to follow, it says things like this. Prepare your vegetables. Chop them all up. Thinly slice this. Dice that. Finely chop that. Then you go heat up your pan. Put your oil in. You get things prepared. You have them prepared for what reason? For the reason of getting everything there so it all works smoothly. And hopefully, prayerfully, at the end result, it's something that is palatable and is able to feed the hungry masses within my home. And sometimes it works. Other times, not so much. Ask my family about that one. But the practice of preparedness, in order for us to experience the fullness of, of what God desires to give us, there has to be a preparedness in our hearts to till the fellow ground of our hearts so that the, the word of God as the seed is sown within the good soil of our hearts it might bring forth good fruit, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. So the practice of preparedness, and this is what he says in verse 5 and 6, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That's one. Make the most of every opportunity. Two, let your conversation be always full of grace. Three, seasoned with salt. Four, and five, so that you may know how to answer everyone. There's a preparedness involved in each of these things. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but I want you to break down those five things and regarding your conduct, regarding your speech, regarding your attitudes, regarding your heart, regarding your interactions. There is preparedness that needs to take place. 
But if you're going to devote yourself to prayer, if you're going to be watchful, if you're going to be thankful, then there is on our part changes that reflect what the gospel has brought about in our lives. Okay, what I mean by this is the first thing we're told is to be wise. Wisdom in the way you act toward outsiders. Uh, you could, this could be the lost, it could be those outside your family, it could be those next door neighbours, it could be those within the church who are part of the church but are not part of your friend group. But there should be wisdom in the way you act toward outsiders. It is easy to discard or to discount other people, especially when they disagree with your viewpoint or they have different attitudes to you. We can discard them. And you can see this today, even now, in this current climate, where the ability to converse has seemed to have fallen along the wayside. And it happens even within the church. You sit down and talk with a brother or your sister, and their eyes are off to the side, wanting to go off to do something else, as opposed to giving the person your attention. And, and you see, looking overseas, you have people who have an agenda they want to promote. Uh, they're unwilling to dialogue with people who don't believe the same thing you believe. You have those people now that are shouting people down, and that shouting people down takes precedence over meaningful conversation, which actually reveals that person's narrow-mindedness. The narrow-mindedness of the people doing the shouting, as well as showing that the people doing the shouting might be actually insecure in what they believe and in what they follow. Being wise means taking the time and following the standards and the actions that Jesus has set for us. For example, Jesus committed himself to his Father's will in John 17. I want you to sort of, that, that's actually a really deep statement there in the sense that he committed himself to his Father's will. Everything he did in his ministry and in his life prioritized his Father's will. Does this glorify God? Does this draw people close to him? Will this bless others for the glory of God? I reckon if we started off with that attitude in and of itself, that we commit ourselves to the Father's will, that in, it, in itself might change our attitudes and our mindsets regarding certain things within our lives. But that's the first thing Jesus did. He committed himself to his Father's will. Secondly, he spoke only when he needed. I thought that was really interesting. You look when it was at, at particular times, at particular times, he spoke, he said things, he challenged authority, he spoke in a way which got people to think. He was very thoughtful. And when he did say what he said, you can, and you can learn from this, when he did say what he said, it caused people to think. It wasn't just babbling for the sake of babbling, for the sake of, uh, sorry, babbling for the sake of babbling. He was saying things specifically for a specific purpose as to whether it fell in line with his father's will. And lastly, he committed himself to God, not my will, but yours in Matthew when we looked at last week. Those three things and how we conduct ourselves, that, that will help in us being wise. And there's some wonderful, wonderful proverbs that you read, which I'll look at a little bit later on. But you'll, you'll notice how the Lord Jesus also made the most of every opportunity to point people to his Father or leave them to, a, to their own devices. From the cleansing of the temple in John 2, you know, this is my father's house will be called a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. The silencing of the Sadducees when it came to the question of the resurrection in Matthew 22, his transfiguration in Mark 6, the, the comforting of a weeping mother in Luke 7. Sometimes he would say something outright 
and, and challenged them and what they believed like he did with Zacchaeus. In Luke 19, come down, I'm going to eat at your place. And then brought him to, it completely transformed his life. And other times he caused him to walk away with sadness like he did with the rich young ruler in Luke 10. But Jesus' words, whether rebuke or whether encouragement, were always full of grace and seasoned with salt. Meaning that if I am to walk as Jesus walked, if I am to, uh, to, to follow the example that he set, then I am in like manner to use wisdom in how I respond in my conduct and in my words, walking in the spirit so I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh, letting no unwholesome talk come out of my mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up, which doesn't mean that they're always soft and polite, but it does mean that they're in love and honest. If a soft answer turns away wrath in Proverbs 15.1, and we are clothed in compassion and kindness and humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, as the Lord forgave you, and love, which binds them all together in unity, if we are sensitive to the Spirit, then it brings us to this point, so that you may know how to answer everyone. See, that one point, that one little paragraph that I shared with you now is summed up in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But sanctify, set the Lord God apart in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. There is the sanctification of the Lord Jesus in your heart first. That's where it needs to take priority. The devotion to the one you're praying to, being watchful and thankful. The proclamation that takes place in that verse then results in you being able to be prepared to give an answer. And in that preparedness, you will have the right word to say to a single mother who feels alone. You'll have the right word to say to the outcast that feels isolated or the boss that's under stress with work, the unemployed person who is feeling like a failure, the child who feels inadequate. The fullness of Jesus is that he meets need not to make people feel better about themselves, but in pointing them to Jesus, they discover true love, true fellowship, true freedom, true purpose, true satisfaction, true success, and true fulfillment. Because Jesus is beautiful. He is so beautiful. He is so big. He is so majestic that our eyes cannot help but be drawn to him in adoration, our vision upon him in worship, and our hearts toward him in praise. It can't help but direct this way. That's what happens when the practice of preparedness takes place because the focus changes completely. When, when everything is prepared, the finished product is magnificent. Last night I made a fried rice, a vegetable fried rice. And I prepared everything, cooked it the way it was said, and honestly, I wouldn't say it was magnificent, but it was tasty. It was really tasty, and I really liked it. Faith took it to work on the Friday morning for lunch because she thought it was so nice. She said to me, Dad, that's yum. That's what happened when there is a preparedness, when your heart is good soil, when your eyes are focused on Jesus, when you're about the proclamation of who he is, 
then what happens is that in turn, you enjoy the greatness of who he is for yourself. And the encouragement and the excitement and the zeal within our hearts are stirred up to the glory of God. And you just can't help but enjoy being in his presence. That's why it is so important. So, let us walk faithfully, devoted to the Lord, in communion, in, in, in meditation, dwelling in the scriptures, that through the Holy Spirit we are empowered to obey and that we do obey, being watchful and being thankful, being aware of every opportunity around us that we might be able to give an answer through word and through deed because our lives have been touched by the Saviour, that we might live out the gospel to the glory of God the Father, that God became a man and dwelt among us, that he died for sinners, that he rose again from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, and that is a truth that we can take comfort in, take encouragement from, and be strengthened by for the glory of God the Father. That, that is the blessing of these three practices, that we might, through the practice of prayer, be devoted to him and watchful and thankful, that through the practice of proclamation, we are witness to not only the power of God in each of our lives, but witness to the support and the power of God through the lives of others as they pray for us and as we pray for you. That through the practice of preparedness, we might prepare these vessels that God has blessed us with in a way that would not only glorify him, but be shaped and molded that we might receive not only the word into our hearts, but have the word lived out up to overflowing in order to bless others for his glory. These are the three practices that we are called to not only adhere to, but to we can experience a revival. We can experience that refreshing. We can experience that reorienting and we can, we can experience that refocusing within each of our lives. So I leave you with that, brothers and sisters, this morning, that you would not only go from here excited, but also eager to practice within the, the gymnasium of the Lord as he continues to shape you to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray, and then we'll carry on with our morning. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the example that is given to us through the Apostle Paul. And I pray that you will help each of us to not only be refreshed in you, but also be bold enough to reorient and refocus our vision on the things that last to eternity, not the things that are temporal on this earth. So I pray, Father, you will help us to practice prayer, to practice proclamation, and to practice our our, our preparedness in order to not only receive from you, but that we will receive to abundance and that abundance would, would overflow to the lives of those around us. May we truly be vessels filled with the Spirit so that we might not only, so that we might not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, but also that we might walk out and step out by faith, shining as lights for you 
and a dark, dark world. So we ask you to dismiss us now, and we thank you so much for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. It's been wonderful to spend some time with you this morning. Please continue to pray as we look to opening up the church as soon as possible. Um, when I say as soon as possible, over the next sort of few weeks. Uh, also, if you're able to, please come join us in Zoom. It's always a really good time to sit down and talk and to fellowship. And I would really like to know how you guys are going. So God bless. Take care. And if I don't see you on Zoom, I'll see you next week. See you later.